Okay, you ready, AP? Ready when you are. Let's lay this baby down. Lofty, you on the guitar, mate. You right, Scope? Yep, standing by. Freddie, you on the bass? Yep, ready to go. All right, here we go then. One, two, three, four. Just two good old boys. Two good old boys. Never meeting a harm. Before he never saw the hand, no hair since the day they was born. Straighten the curves. Straighten the curves. And welcome back, all. Welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, the little radio show that's all about helping you get your mojo working in and out of work. If you've got it working, how do you keep it working? If you don't got it at all, how do you find some? And if you never, ever had it, where do you get it? Nice to have you in the big red bus we call the Mojo Radio Show. I guess the other thing to think about, folks, with a podcast, particularly this type of show, is that If you've got your mojo working, that's good. Keep it going. But if you know somebody that's struggling or someone who's flat, grey, beige, vanilla, torp, off-white, just not not feeling it, send them a copy of the show. Send them a link because I guarantee in amongst the five seasons of guests, there is a guest that will help pull them out of their funk, get their mojo working in or out of work, get them back on the track, back in the lane. So share it with somebody, share the link. It does us a favor, but let me tell you more than that, you're being of service to somebody else. And that really is what our show is all about. Before we start, AP in the voiceover booth, uh, mate, do you have anything of value to add before we start the show? Yeah, the dulcet tones of AP. And, uh, I think he's warming up. The chuckle behind the console, the man who makes us sound good week in and week out, our production guru, Robbo. Welcome to the show. What's news with you, mate? Oh, it's all happening, mate. Round one of footy on the weekend for the kids. That was a nice one. That's that's what's what happening happened? in my Give world. Give us a quick update, 60-second oh, update. Oh, Northern Barbarians had a, a, cl- a close win over old rival St. Ives, 24-22. Oh, so, um, St. Ives boys, eh? Yeah, there we go. Gee, nice way to start. But, but yeah. don't touch your dial because you've got a treat coming up with a batch of real big stars. The Mojo Radio Show. Our guest this week is a repeat offender to the Mojo Radio Show. He's a guy called Darren Altclass. And 
We spoke to Darren way, way back in season one or two of the Mojo Radio Show. He's an award-winning brand strategist. He's a writer, which you'll hear about today. He's on the speaking circuit talking about brand and marketing and promotion. And his latest book, This Way Please, which is why he's with us today, has received great accolades uh, across the country. So we thought it was interesting to get Darren back on again because this is a topic we don't do often, but it's a critical topic for any leader. Now, whether you are a sole operator or whether you are running a company with a thousand employees, brand is becoming increasingly important for all of us. And when guys like Gary Vaynerchuk, who is now a phenomenon in social media and blogging and video across the world, and his whole shtick is about being an entrepreneur and his whole selling point is about how important brand is for us to get right as part of our world. So that being said, we thought, let's get Darren back on, discuss his new book, take a little deep dive into brand, marketing, promotion, the strategy that sits behind it, and take us to new places that maybe brand is going to today that we haven't considered yet. So Darren, welcome back to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Oh, you mean the other Darren? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, this Darren, not that Darren. <laughs> the smart Darren. Yeah, thanks. I uh, appreciate the uh, the invitation. Well, we don't have a lot of return guests, so but I think this is a topic that we I think people need to understand and to think about. But before we start, just for those who might not have heard the first show with you, mate, when people approach you in the street and ask you what you do, how do you like to reply? Now I, I basically just say, look, I, I help people build brands or companies that their customers will love. So whatever it takes to do that, whether it's communications, marketing, design, I look at the strategy of helping them build a company or a brand that people are going to love. Is that still doable today? Like with this fractured media, uh, our attention span is is less than a goldfish, they say, you've got all, all these different things that are trying to capture our attention, we are fickle. Is it? Do you think it's honestly possible for people to create a brand that people actually love? Certainly, yeah. I think it's doable and I think it's absolutely essential for long-term sustainability of that company. I think it's the only way that you're going to build uh, a company that's going to last. And the more complicated the world gets, the more busy the world gets, the more competitive the world gets. I think the only way to build a successful, profitable brand is to go back to old school relationship principles and build a company that people love to do business with. I think at the end of the day, people um, want to do business with people that they like. So let's just dig there for a second. Say yeah. I'm a sole, a sole operator or an entrepreneur with a business I'm starting or I've been in business five years, but I want to now do a lot more on my brand. Yeah. Let's go back to old school to say, I want to take the steps so that I'm not just a logo, I'm not just a business, but I'm a brand that people will actually love. Talk me through the starting point. Like what what do I need to do to start moving towards that love place? Yeah, I think the first question you should ask is the why question. Why, why does my, my company exist? Um, why does my brand exist? And why should people care? I think that's the first thing. Answer the why question. And why should people care? Why should people love this brand? And when you come up with 
that statement, which I guess some marketers call like their value statement or their value proposition, which is basically the value that you offer to your customers to meet their needs and their aspirations. Once you come up with that that clarity, that statement, then you ask the next question. And, and that is, you know, who am I going to be communicating this with? So the first question is, you know, why do I matter? Like, and, and that becomes our brand story. So it's finding the right story. And then the second is finding the right people and connecting that story to those people. So that's where I normally start is go back to the drawing board and say, why do we exist? If you're the founder, why did you start it in the first place? Did you solve a problem of your own? Did you solve someone else's problem? So it's just coming back and asking that why question. So I solved those two questions. I'm very clear on it. I can solve the problem for a group of people. How do I go from, yes, you solved my problem into, I love your company. I love your brand. Yeah, look, I think it's a really long process, um, just like building any relationship really, starting with you know something of value that people are going to appreciate, people are going to love, and then give people an experience of that. And then those people will tell other people and so forth. You can you know, fast track some of that with doing some online marketing. Um, but really, I think it's um, so much more influential to, to get five people that really have a great experience than 500 people that may just know about it. I think it's far more powerful to go deep with five people than wide with 500 people. It, you're hearing people now in the realm of marketing and brand talk about the long game. And it's, it's I know Gary yeah. V or Gary Vaynerchuk is someone that you, you and I have actually talked about before on the show and it's someone that you look at quite often in terms of a personal brand, which I'll get to in a second. Yeah. If you are listening to Gary V at the moment, he is very bullish on patience. And I think yeah. pretty much in every show, every Q&A he does, he talks about the fact that you need to be patient to do this over time, but people seem to be very impatient. Are you noticing that with business owners where they think it all should happen overnight and we are suffering from this impatience? Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, I think Gary, I mean, I haven't listened to some a lot of his stuff recently, but I've heard enough to know what he's about. He's got the luxury of having patience because he's got finances behind him. I think some people, like people that I know, their impatience is driven by necessity. They need to make money. So it's a hard one to balance for sure. But I think if I understand Gary Vaynerchuk's approach, it's about having um, patience over the long term, but every day working really, really hard towards that. It's not about being lazy, which I see some people interpret it, but it's about understanding what the long game is and how to get there and and be consistent. I mean, he is really a, a sales, like the best salesperson I've ever seen. And he's just adopting sales techniques, I think, which is about long-term relationship building, long-term value giving. If you were breaking down, if we go back to the well-loved brand question at the start, if you yeah. were to break down a well-loved brand, what would you say is the, the core building blocks or the DNA of a well-loved brand? Because this is something you talk about in your book, which we'll get to in a second. How would you describe the DNA of a well-loved brand? I mean, I've always been fascinated in what motivates people to make decisions. And as a marketer, that's obviously one of the key things you need to motivate people to, to take some kind of action. So I've always been fascinated with people's behaviour. And so I started by asking myself the question, what 
makes a person, not just a family member, but a person, a friend, a colleague that I actually really love? What are the qualities of that person? So I asked myself and documented that for quite a few of my friends and colleagues. And then I took what I discovered there and overlaid it onto the same question about brands. What do I love about these brands? And they actually were exactly the same. And I came up with nine qualities that I thought really represented that very well in either an individual or a collection of individuals, which is a brand. And do you want me to just quickly just tell you what those nine Yeah, that's what I'm saying, because yeah. that, that's the basis of the book, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. There, there's um, an intro chapter and a conclusion chapter, and then there's nine chapters in between, and that's the nine characteristics. And the first one is significant. This is not in any kind of hierarchy or importance. They're all pretty important. If you ask me, there's probably three or four that are most important. But I start with significant. Uh, then I go into heartwarming, helpful, generous, convenient, interesting, personal, attractive, and patient. So significant, heartwarming, helpful, generous, convenient, interesting, personal, attractive, and patient. It's not anything that um, people would not, not already know, but I think we've forgotten a lot about that and that people may try to do these things in the day-to-day but I don't think they build into their whole business strategy. So say I've got, uh, let's say, either an IT company or let's say I'm a florist or let's say I run a career company. Yeah. Uh, regardless, it could have sole operator right through to a dozen or 20 or 25 staff. Yeah. I've got those nine attributes. I've got the book. I read the book. I buy into because you've called them the the nine timeless qualities people cannot resist. And I go, I yeah. get it. I buy into it. How yeah. do I how do I then implement that, Darren, into my brand? So I sit there at nighttime, I've got a, an open pad, I've got your book there, I want yeah. to do it. What's the process for strategically bringing those things to life within a brand? Obviously, you know, you, you read the book, you get the framework in your mind. And then I think the next, step is to ask, what do people actually think about my brand? And so I've actually um, written a survey, partnered with a survey writer, and wrote a survey to actually find out what people think. So I think if you're really serious about this, do a 360-degree survey with customers, with staff, and with leadership. Collate all that data, and then you get a, a very good picture about what people actually think. And then I, I think it's a simple process of, of asking the stop, start, continue questions. What do we need to stop doing? What do we need to start doing? And what do we need to continue doing? And to build that into those nine characteristics of, you know, the behaviour of the brand. So it's just stop, start, continue. What do we need to stop doing? What do we need to start doing? And what do we continue doing? And do, I, do you think you'd go through each of those nine pieces and say, what do we need to start doing to be more attractive? What do we need to stop doing to be more unattractive? And what do we need to continue to do to be attractive? Is that your plan? You have these nine things on a wheel and go through and pick out one one thing for each one? Is that how you'd sort of approach it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's pretty hard to implement nine at once. I think start with a few that you feel that are most valuable for you and make sense for your customers and start there. So 
So if convenient is one of the th- things that you think your customers love uh, and need, then go deep on convenience and work out what actually is going to make a convenient experience for my customers yeah, and nice. build that into it. And then I think just if you were, did three of these really, really well and the rest average, I think you're going to be winning way ahead of everyone else. If we go back to rewind a little bit to the start of the interview, you talked about one of the first things that a loved, a well-loved brand would do is to work out their value statement. Is that the same as a yeah. purpose? Yeah, I think it's similar. I mean, some people say, you know, the purpose of a business is to make money. I think that's a byproduct of a, of a company. I think the purpose of a business is to provide value, um, whatever that might be, whether it's a product or a service, you provide that provide value. Um, and value, I don't mean value as in something that is cheap and people think that they're getting more than they paid for. Value in that actually matters to a human being, that actually makes a difference. Uh, and even though, you know, you've got all these commodity products and we talked about coffee before the radio program started, even though coffee is, can be considered a commodity product, you can actually turn that into something that's actually very valuable to people as well. So I don't think, I mean, some people will say, um, I've got a commodity product, this is impossible to do. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think any brand offering any product or any service can can do this. And I think that they will um, look back after doing this and be so thankful that they did do it because how effective it is. You're obviously a student in this area and you actually are hands-on working with a lot of clients doing this process. Darren, what have you noticed is the biggest change in the area of marketing and brand the last 12 months? I, th- I think there's this crazy commitment to an amazing amount of content. And I see people going so hard in content, you know, whether it's social media, whether it's email, whether it's blogging. There's so much co- And I think it's really hard to keep up. That's really, really hard to do. And it ends up becoming content for content sake. But I think content definitely matters. But I think when people get so consumed with having to create interesting content every day that they miss the really important long-term aspect of making an individual feel fantastic about doing business with you. And so with some of my clients, what I've done is tried to strip back all that and go slower on content, still do content marketing for sure, because that's part of being helpful. That's part of being interesting, some of the characteristics. That's part of being significant. But pairing it right back and asking the question of how does this one person feel about doing business? How can we, with us, how can we make them feel better? And and trying to build that into the behaviour of the business in the day-to-day. I think that's far more valuable and far more effective than you know, posting two or three times a day on Instagram, for example. But people seem to be caught up in that, don't they? The, this promotions bit versus having a message to create a brand because I think it's an interesting point. It, I see so much stuff being posted by people that's simply not interesting and it's not yeah. compelling, yet they feel as though they are doing a great job for their brand just by posting. That must be That's a real right. frustration for guys like you that are having to work with brands who have this mindset. One simple um, question um, normally uncovers the weakness of that, and I normally ask, what story are you telling with all this content? 
can you put it all together and create a mosaic that tells your brand story? And most of the time, they don't know what the brand story actually is. They can't articulate it clearly. And so if someone wants to post that regularly, I end up doing a bit of work with them and creating that mosaic so they know that all those tiles that go together tell a common story. And then they tend to think a little bit more deep about the content and it slows them down. And they post less, they post more significant content. That's mosaic, mosaic gold right there. And again, it all comes back to what, like, a brand story. Like, I mean, there's so much talk about brand stories and a lot of people make it extremely complicated, but the brand story is really the value that you offer to meet someone's need and aspiration. And that's it. It's why your brand matters. You can articulate that into a very simple phrase and then work out three or four themes that go together to tell that story. There's your mosaic. But it's got to be a story, hasn't it? I mean, those things have to link together in some way because just just posting people are putting together a mosaic that when you step back makes no sense to anybody, including the person doing the posting. So is the why the glue that holds all these pieces together to create the mosaic? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, and the why is your story. That's why you matter and why you exist. Why were you started in in the first place? And uh, it's such a powerful concept to understand and it really does change everything. And, you know, one particular client I'm working with at the moment that have, say, um, I think 38 staff, just helping them, all of them, understand why they come to work every day and why, like, I mean, they're the tiles that make up the mosaic. And just for them knowing why gives them a different sense of purpose. And I've just noticed that they've just got more energy and more excitement and more passion and more commitment to the company because they understand what role they're playing in the bigger picture. Um, and, like, it's exciting to see that, really exciting because it not only affects obviously the profitability of the company, it affects the experience of the staff. It's interesting how the media landscape has blown apart, let's say, the last decade. I mean, even to the point where you can do your own book, you can send me a copy, and podcasts are now considered to be part of your media landscape as an author to get your message out. Do you think with the proliferation of options in media, are the fundamentals of what we grew up with in marketing and brands still relevant today? Oh, totally. Look, I don't think people have changed at all. I don't think the world has changed much at all um, in that respect. People still love the same things that they loved. Like in, in my book, I tell a story of when I was a kid and I used to go to the butcher with mum. And the butcher would know mum by name. He would know the meals that mum cooked. There was a... There was a a level of intimacy and understanding and you know, personalization. And it's no different to what people are trying to do now just through technology. He used to do it with that kind of raw human memory. And we now try to outsource that with technology, which I don't think is always the best way. But I don't think people have changed. People always want a personal experience. People love that. Um, people love when you remember their name. It makes you feel significant and intimate. So I don't think people, what they want or what they love has changed so much. Just how we deliver it is a little bit different. Um, And because of technology, because of the pace of life is different now, I think that intimacy is hard to 
to, to get back. And I think this is why I wrote this book, basically, just for people just to take a step back and think about how, do, how am I going to build a company that people are going to track with me for their life, long-life customers who love what I do, whether it's a one-person business or a hundred-person business, it's the same thing. And the bigger a company grows, the smaller you need to grow it at the same time. That's, that's difficult. So I don't think people have changed. I don't think people, what they love have changed. It's just the way we do it. We've got more options now to do it. We should be doing it better. In the book, you spoke of an author who I must say I have become a bit of a fan of, and I also talk of her, is a lady called Marie Kondo, who wrote uh, an amazing worldwide smash hit called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying. Um, And it's really interesting because I think, me, like most people, looked at it and went, you're kidding me, a book on tidying and folding your laundry. But it's actually quite a compelling book and there are some amazing messages within the book, which is obviously why it's become a worldwide smash. What impact did that book have on you personally, Darren? It had a really profound impact. Like someone gave it to me. Look, I'm a tidy person. It was a strange present. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. You know me well, you know I'm pretty tidy person, like stupidly tidy. And uh, so I thought I read I like reading, so I read it. And what impacted me is that this, it wasn't about tidying. It was really about the relationship that we have with our things. And so she asked this very, very simple question of, you know, what, like only surround yourself with things that bring you joy. And I did, I looked at my life and I looked at my things. I thought, you know, there's a lot of things in my life. And I'm not really a clutterer. I don't really keep a lot of stuff. But even for me, I had all these things that actually didn't bring me joy. And so I went through this process, like she explained in her book. And we did this decluttering. And um, it was, honestly, it was um, revolutionary. Because it, it made me think of not just about my things, but my thoughts and the relationships that I hold. So it actually impacted everything in my life. Um, and that's why I read it twice, and now that's why I buy it and give it away to as many people as I can. How about you? How did you how did you experience the book? Oh, look, I loved it. I uh, My wife bought it, uh, had it as a Kindle, and said, you should read this. And I, I scoffed at it, to be honest. I scoffed at it. <laughs> yeah. um, but because I'm a bit like you, I was curious. Uh, I read the reviews, which were you know, from all sorts of people. It was a worldwide bestseller. So I thought, well, I've got it. Why not read it? Um, but it had a pre- it had a quite a profound, it's no different to, I think, the impact you had. And I have found myself picking out room by room and really asking myself the question is, do I already need this thing? Probably would somebody else benefit more from it than I am because I actually don't use this. Or I grab something, put it in a box and put it aside. And if I don't think about it for 12 months, then it's gone. Um, I'm just hoping that maybe, I've, I've tried with Robbo. I'm hoping that you will send a copy of the book to Robbo because the studio is cluttered. Well, uh, I, it, I, he read the book and I came in the next day and the leopard skin couch in the corner was gone. It's like, hang on. Well, it, it, it didn't bring you joy. It, it oh, does bring you joy. How, oh, bang, thank you. How thank can you. a leopard skin couch not bring you joy? Bang, Let's be honest. How can it there not it bring you joy? Good question. Now let, let me segue here, Darren, um, yeah. and the smart Darren I'm talking to. Um, if 
Uh, this book had a profound impact on us for decluttering. My question is, should advertisers, brand owners, yeah. brand custodians take a hold of this premise? Because it seems that perhaps we could apply the same thing to the messaging around our brand, the way we present our brand. Are you finding the same principles in your mind flow across to advertisers who are creating a brand? Totally. Look, at the end of the day, it's about there's only a few things that you have or only a few things that you do that really matter and make an impact. There's only a few things that you do that are inspiring. And that was the premise of her book. How do you want to live your life? What do you want to surround yourself with? Only surround yourself with things that are going to inspire you and bring you joy. So we overlay that onto a brand and it's exactly the same. Only, you know, there's so much activity that goes on, like we talked about content. Only some of that content is inspiring. Only some of that content is going to bring people joy. Focus on that. Go hard on that. Forget about the rest. So the whole less is more principle, I guess, is you know, a, a pretty good way to sum it up. But she goes a lot deeper in that. And, yes, the book – I read this book and I thought, this impacts my life immediately, but it flows onto so many other aspects of my life. So I give it to people and say, read it, and then let's talk about your business. Yeah, and um, we've had some pretty interesting conversations. So you're obviously a person who likes to read. How do you stay across, how do you personally stay across brand trends, stories, changes, people's philosophies? How do you how do you stay across what's going on in the marketplace to stay fresh? And how do you store your ideas? Look, I, um, I, 10, 15 years ago, I would read everything. But now I... I'm, I'm very, very picky with what I actually do read now. And I, I guess it's another Marie Kondo principle. I, I would read everything because I was anxious that I wasn't going to know everything. And uh, that didn't play out so well because my mind just became so full of so many ideas and uh, it was difficult to execute. So I ended up, kind of, I guess, having a, like a, almost an addiction to information. And it was hard to activate a lot of that information. So what I, I do now is just be very, very choosy about what I actually do read. And I try to read those things three or four times and take notes and have action plans around that. So most of the books I read are on a Kindle. And you there's a function uh, on the Kindle app on an iPad, for example, where you can copy uh, and email sections to you. So what I'd normally do is read if there's something that's really um, important to me, I will highlight it, I'll email it to myself, and then I um, categorise it uh, in an app on my computer that syncs with my phone and my iPad, um, which you're probably familiar with is Evernote. So that's how I organise my ideas. So um, I, I don't find it. So just reading and then closing the book and doing as doing nothing with that information is very helpful. So I try to read less and just go deeper and uh, to create action plans around that. So you just mentioned the word helpful, and I'm going to flip to page 39 in the book this way, please. And you said, or Jay Bayer said, what if instead of trying to be amazing, you just focused on being useful? Tell me, 
Tell me the steps that you take one of your clients through in order to go from this point today to be more helpful. What questions, how would you take them on that journey? Yeah, it's a great quote, by the way, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's a cracker. Everyone's trying, to, everyone's trying to be amazing. And Jay Baird, just, he's actually written a whole book just about this topic. Um, and so I, I normally ask my clients, what are the top 20 questions you've ever been asked? And so they'll, they'll know at least 10 of them off the top of their head. So I document those. So what answers do you have for those? So just write them down. And then I ask who else would like that information? Who else would find that helpful? And that's pretty much all of our customers. So then I help them turn that into content. So whether that's emails or blog posts or social media posts, that becomes the framework of the content that they deliver over the next 12 months. Uh, And that has been really, really helpful because you're actually delivering content to the questions that people are actually asking. Uh, And it's helpful on so many levels. It's helpful because people are asking those questions, but it's helpful in your search engine optimization ranking as well because you type... In your blog post, for example, you type the question exactly as someone would actually enter into Google searching for it. So it helps with your searchability as well. Um, And I tell people to write that as the title of their post, for example. That's a very, very simple way. Um, Ask what questions are people asking, what things will people find helpful, and just one by one start answering those questions. You can even turn that into a book. You know, um, let's, I use an example of a bed company in, in one of these chapters. I can't remember exactly where it is, but like, what if you took the top 20 questions that people ask about beds or sleeping and put them into a book and hand it and give it away to people when they come and inquire? I mean, which bed company, you look at three or four companies, which bed company are you going to go for in the end? One that gave you a free book that answered 20 questions or one that couldn't care less? I think it's a pretty simple way to be helpful. I've got to say, I've struggled with content for my company for the last 12 months or so since I started taking social media really seriously. And can I just say, mate, that is the most, it's the simplest way I've ever heard it explained, but it's also the most useful. That's gold. Absolute gold. That's gold. Gold. Well, thank you. Um, you And if more people did that, I think people are just going to really fast track the relationship with those people. I mean, one of the, when I asked the question originally of all my friends and colleagues and why do I love those, one of the top things that they were helpful. If I needed something, and I'm not the kind of guy that asks a lot for help, but when I did, these people would like, sure, they dropped everything and help. You know, and I thought that I valued that so much. And then when I looked at brands that people loved, there's just such a great quality to have as a company. If we think about our own journey Darren, as kids growing up, do you think we'll ever see the likes of a Coca-Cola, uh, a Disney, a Levi's, where people actually want to wear the logo on a shirt? I mean, there are brands now that are as popular, bigger, dominating, but I don't know that the sorts of brands that people had the same attachment to or love for, they want to wear a T-shirt 
Do you think we'll ever see that style of brand again? <clears throat> yeah, I, I think I think the answer is yes. But I think because society's become more fragmented in smaller cultural groups, I think you'll find more of them in smaller amounts. For example, I was just at the Melbourne International Coffee Expo where it's the largest coffee um, exhibition for the industry in Southeast Asia, Australia, Asia, and every second person had a T-shirt on with a brand on it. Not their own company brand, but a brand that they admired or loved or maybe it was just a free T-shirt they got. But you saw, saw a lot of that. I think people like wearing branded content, but I'm, I'm just – I'm not sure – I mean, let's ask question about one of the biggest brands in the world, Apple. Probably one of the most loved brands in the world. I don't see people wearing Apple shirts. Yeah. But I think the smaller brands that are creating communities around what they do, definitely. Two questions out of that for me, for you, Gaz, is firstly, why weren't we told about a coffee festival down in Melbourne? And secondly, should we put a hold on the order for the Mojo Radio Show T-shirts? Well, yeah, yeah, yes and yes. But can you imagine if you and I went to the coffee festival, we'd be jacked up on coffee. We wouldn't sleep for three, two weeks. No, that's right. We'd still you be would, going. Can you imagine how, how quickly we'd be talking, how fast the edit would be done on the show. It was like, hey, everybody, welcome. Uh, it, was, it was really funny. It was people walking around with coffee hangovers. It was really quite, quite humorous to watch. Darren, it would destroy me. If I had yeah. any more than two or three brews in a day, it would abs- – the next day I would be like the walk, the Grateful Dead. I would just be <laughs> – it would be all over. I couldn't do – I actually and, – and the thing was I'd go in there with full discipline to go, okay, you got two cups, three cups tops, it's got to be done by 11 o'clock. But then you'd walk past someone like yourself with a really cool brand and go, Ah, oh, it'll be all right. Yeah. Before you know yeah, it, yeah, just one yeah. more. Yeah, eight shots deep, head it's all over, and you're not sleeping. Oh, it might be a mess. The, 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 the smart people, though, I'm not saying that you're not smart, but the smart people treat it like wine. They treat it like wine, so they'll taste it, swirl it around their mouth, and they'll spit it out. Oh, I can't do oh, that. Spit nah, bucket. that's waste. No, nah. a spit bucket. That's a How cool is that? Yeah. Imagine walking around yeah. there with your own forty-four gallon drum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the people are tasting black coffees, and so they're just tasting it, smelling it, and spitting it back and giving it back in. You're, you're dumping it. But um, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of people that had way too much coffee. Yeah, that would be us. <laughs> Describes the studio fairly well every Monday morning. Pretty much. Yeah. Let's take yourself out of the game but you are working or seeing or admiring a great marketer who is either a solopreneur or someone who runs a company with 50 or 100 people, what are the attributes that you think you admire or essential for a great marketer in this day and age? I think the first thing I'd have to say is that they knew the story that they were telling and they knew how to tell it visually and in written form so that's where I like to start. They, they, they know the story that's going to connect with the right audience. And, and you know it because you see people, when they read it, they're just nodding their heads. And in, in their brain, they're saying, of course. So you're already connecting at a deep level with people visually and through the communications. But I think also responsiveness. So it's not just a broadcast approach, but it's 
more of a conversational relationship building approach. So it's not a brand that's distant, but it's a brand that's actually connecting and responsive and answering. Like the companies that I run, say, social media for, people are so surprised when we respond in 10 or 15 minutes. They're like, wow, that's so helpful. It's like, why would you not respond in 15 minutes? If you if you're going to commit to engaging customers online, why is it okay to wait for 24 hours before you reply? I don't understand that. And so I think it's pretty easy to stand out, just be responsive. Um, so I, I, they're the top three things, you know. Understand the story, present it beautifully, have well-written content that's connecting to people's needs and aspirations and be responsive. It's funny. I'm going to build upon that and challenge you with something. I... It's not much a challenge it's to get your opinion, but I find that brands are very responsive when it's good news. When you provide them with feedback where they have dropped the ball or they've done a crap job, it's a ghost town. You hear crickets. It's funny how if it's good news, they're all over it. If it's something they don't want to hear, it just goes straight through the keeper. Yeah, it's true. And um, partly it's because they haven't been trained to know how to respond when something gets negative. Um and one of the things I've been doing with my clients is, is asking the question, you know, how do we want people to feel when they're with us and when they leave us? How do we want people to feel? And so we start talking about that, talking about how we want them to feel and how we can make them feel that way. But one of the questions that, that often comes up is what do we do when people disagree with us, what are we, when people don't like what we've done? And so in, in one of the chapters in my book, I talk about the customer is always right even when they're wrong. And customers are wrong a lot of the time. But no one wants to know that they're wrong. No one wants to be told that they're wrong. So it's about seeking first to understand and then trying to be understood. I'm trying to understand why does the customer feel this way? So the first response is always, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you feel this way. I'm sorry you've had this experience. Whether it's in person or online, just simply say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you felt you're not admitting that you stuffed up. All, all you're saying is, look, I'm really sorry you've had this experience. What can I do to make it better? What can I do to make it up to you? So most of the time, 90 of the time, people will tell you straight away, you do that and then go over and above and give them something extra, you won them over. It's so simple to do. I don't understand why people don't do that more. And um, let's say one of the brands I manage is a coffee brand and people are always going to have a coffee that they don't like because coffee is so specific. And the easiest way is to say, you know, what didn't you like about it? And um, let me make it for you again. Like it's so simple. Then give them a bag of beans that cost, you know, $20. That's a $20 ad, sure. Put it in your marketing budget. It is. It's, look, I think it's gold, Darren. I, I, I think that the stuff you're dropping here is critically important for any, any of our listeners and for us in the studio to take away and truly scrutinise our own brand and lay this down as a platform. And I'm wondering, how does, how does a great brand judge success? And the reason I say that is regardless of how big your company is, the concern I've got is that most organisations – judge solely judge their success based on revenue or share or the numbers and there's no real soul to the company so when the numbers aren't there all hell breaks loose there's nothing that sits underneath it the great brands that people truly love 
How do they measure success? Look, I think one measurement obviously has to be profitability because it's not profitable, it's not going to last. That, that's a simple one. That's so black and white. But asking about your reputation, I think is, I mean, the, your reputation is the only thing that you've got that's, long, that's of long-term value. You have a terrible reputation, you're, you're stuffed unless you try to repair that. And so what, uh, finding out what people are saying, what people are thinking, how they feel about you is so important. Um, that's why surveys are a really helpful tool in that. Um, and, and my definition of a, of a brand, <clears throat> and my definition of branding is exactly that. A brand is not what you say, it is, it's what your customers and your community say it is. Because a brand really, at the end of the day, is your reputation. It's what people feel and think that you are. And so finding out what they actually, I mean, you can influence that for sure. But it's not what you say it is, it's what they say it is. And so finding out what your real reputation is, what people really think and feel is so important. Um, And most of the time when I ask brand managers this, they tell me their version of it. Rather, you know, rather than what people actually think. Um, like, for example, <clears throat> one of my long-term clients are so efficient and so hardworking and so committed to how they deliver their service. It's, it's so streamlined. They've, they've identified every single step of the way from order to delivery. But they thought it was fantastic that people were getting what they ordered very, very quickly and very efficiently, but what they thought were efficient, customers interpreted it as rude. So efficiency sometimes can be the enemy of relationship because it was too fast. And so they would have said our, our, they would have said our reputation was we deliver things fast, not just on time, before time. And the customers were saying it feels too fast and devoid of relationship. I feel like I was on a machine. So we had to try to bridge those two things together. So it was a great example of what they thought people thought of them but what people actually really did think. So constantly finding out what people think is important. The next part is we need to get to our audience. Now, obviously, social is going to play a part of that. Are you a believer in using all platforms or are you a believer in finding one that you believe your core customer uses the most, which suits your brand and all the things we've talked about. Are you a guy that spreads or are you a guy that focuses? Uh, both. I, I think obviously you can't, unless you've got a massive budget and a, and a team of marketers and, and communication specialists, I think you can't be on all of them. So what I try to do is, um, first of all, the process normally I go through is, you know, what story are we telling who are we telling it to and where are we telling it? And so when we get to the where are we telling it, we start to ask about the platforms um, online and offline and we come up with um, a set of platforms that are realistic financially, realistic for our time and realistic for our customers. So that's normally how we would look at it and then um, only add a platform when we think we really, really need to add a platform. Are you a believer in organic growth or when you just said looking at what you could afford, are you a believer in paid? Well, um, again, both. But 
even if it's just organic, it, it's expensive because you've got some people's time. You've got, uh, I mean, let, let's face it, you really need good photography. And if you have people in your, in your company that are good photographers, great. If you don't, most people don't, it's costly. So you have to, creating content is expensive. Whether you promote that content or just use it organically, it's still expensive because it's people's time and people's skills to create that. So I'm a believer in both of um, creating beautiful, professional content that hits our audience, but also I'm a, you know, I think you, at times you need to promote that content and advertise. Um, I don't think paid ad- advertising should be ignored. I think um, it enhances and augments what you're already doing. Right, but this is something you've um You've had a dabble in too, isn't it? It is. It's something I've been dabbling in for a little while. And the question I that comes out of what I've been hearing you talking about, Darren, is should my marketing then be trying to change the minds of people who don't necessarily agree with my message or should I just be preaching to the converted? Or should it be a mix of both, I guess, would be the third option? Yeah, look, I, I, look to answer that question in depth, I'd you know, have to look at you know, what story you're telling and who you're telling to, what outcomes you want from it. But a simple answer, I think, I think most people seem to go onto social media, for example, and want to be top of mind. That's an old phrase that people have used in marketing for a long time. We must keep top of mind. And so top of mind seems to mean a lot of people. We want to hit a lot of people and be on their minds. My approach is, okay, I get top of mind is important, but I'd rather try to be close to heart. So I try to create content for less people, not the masses, that are going to be closer to their heart, not just the top of their mind. And that, I guess, is the premise of my book is you don't just build a brand to be top of mind. You want to build a brand that's close to people's hearts. Um, So I would think about that. What kind of content can you create that's going to make people feel, you know, exceptional about your brand? They're going to feel so good about what you do and what you're saying and what you're offering. And that takes time, and and that's where I think Gary Vaynerchuk a lot of the time needs to be listened to because um, when he started out, he he would create content for years and years and years and only get five or six or seven people kind of commenting. But he would say those five or six or seven people, you never know where that's going to lead. Well, that gives us a lot of faith because quite often we only have five or six listeners to the show, <laughs> none, none of whom none of whom talk to us. But uh, so it gives us faith, Robbo, five it seasons does. in. Yeah, yeah. We, well, I mean, that's a listener a season. That's pretty good. Because Vaynerchuk's a legend. So we, we've got something to look forward to. There you go. You do. <laughs> yeah. You agree with you us. You do. You know. Um, but, I mean, the amount, like just let's say, for example, um, you know, you're heading down, like we were headed down to Melbourne for this event and, and on the way – um, we did some Instagram stories, just like the road trip style of things, you know. But we left at nine. We left Sydney at nine pm, and we arrived in Melbourne at five am. So we drove all night. And in the back of my mind, I'm you know, Instagram stories last for twenty four hours, and you know, for about twelve of those hours, everyone's asleep. But we created the content anyway, just because it was fun, and we thought, you know, we hit a few people. The amount of people that turned up at that show and said, I watched your road trip and it was fantastic, totally surprised me. Yeah, I was like, wow. Like, so I took them one step closer to a deeper relationship with us through doing that. 
I'll, you know, um, we, I, I, with another one of my brands, we're doing a YouTube TV show style. And again, you know, it's really hard to get traction. Um, it's good content. We're filming it in a way that's not super professional, but, you know, it's got good vision and good sound, but it's not, it's not done by professionals. Um, but it's good, you know. The content's good. It's helpful. Addressing people's questions. Uh, and if you looked at it at a point of view of, like, you isolated every single show, you might only get a couple of hundred people viewing and five or six people commenting. But you, it's a cumulative. You start to put those together and slowly it's increasing. But if the business owner would come in and say, look, we're not getting a return on it yet, well, I want to stop it, um, I think inhibits the potential of what it can be. And what we've found, there's two funny stories out of that. <clears throat> we were on a building site in a totally different geographical area where this company is based building a new store. One of the workers came up to one of the guys on the show and said, are you such and such? And he's like, yeah, how do you know? He goes, I watch your show on YouTube. And he says, I've done everything that you've done and started this conversation. I'm like, wow, that was, how else would we have reached that guy, that one guy? In total, you know, and the business is very geographical. Um, another time we were in a car park and someone came up and said, are you such and such? And he's like, yeah. Like, this was getting weird. Like, And again, I watched your show. Um, and they've had no other contact with that brand other than that. So even though the numbers are small, I don't think that necessarily means it's not successful. Absolute universal truth about brand that we in the studio and all of our listeners need to obey. Make people feel wonderful. And if you make people feel wonderful, they will never, ever forget you. Um, one of the quotes in the book, I, I said, people will forget what you said and they'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. So I think make people feel wonderful and you're on a, a good path to building uh, a community of people who are going to love what you do. Robbo, you're a very attractive man. Oh, don't start. Do you feel wonderful? (laughs) Do you feel wonderful? No, I feel a bit scared. (laughs) I'm actually glad I'm sitting down. I think it's really good, Darren. I mean, the thing I I like about that that I just wrote into my journal is that if every time – we talked earlier in the show about scrutinising our content. So rather than just posting, scrutinising it. But that's a nice filter, isn't it? That if you you did all the work you did with the bit of photography, wrote a story that was part of your mosaic – that built your story, that was a being of service and or being helpful to somebody, and you made people feel wonderful. That's kind of a nice three or four tiered filter to go, I'm on the right track. Yeah, for sure. And I think it gives people confidence that, that, that feel nervous when they get on social media, that don't have the kind of budgets that, that of companies are competing against. Um, you, you compete on the level of emotion. Compete on the level of relationship, and everyone can do that one at a time, and that adds up over time. You build good relationships with people, and you know, do what you want people to do to you. How would you want to feel? Reverse it, become the customer, and behave in a way that you want them to behave to you. It's so simple. What would you find helpful? What would you find generous? What would you find significant? What would you find attractive? 
What would you find heartwarming? And so on. What would you find convenient? And then do that. And you're bound to be on the right track. Before we let you go, we've talked about a lot of success stories. Tell me, tell me your favourite personal marketing failure. Tell me about a job you did or something that happened that was a complete, went pear-shaped. But when you look back, go, that was my favourite failure of all time. <laughs> the words favourite and failure don't go well together, do they? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, a, lot of things, a lot of things in this show don't go well together, mate. <laughs> yeah. Except, beer, except um, beer and coffee. I don't have no favourites. Um, I, I, I feel sad about all of them. Um, but I, I don't have a, one of a client, but I, I can tell you a story of a business that I, I tried to get going that um, <laughs> that I, 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 in my mind, thought was going to be amazing, but wasn't. Um, and basically because I didn't do my research properly. It was a side project on the side of other stuff, and and um, it was a media platform that I thought was going to be fantastic and did all the research that I thought I needed to do Created this product, paid a lot of money for developers overseas, and built this beautiful, beautiful platform. And it was a ghost town. And uh, I thought, do I sink more money into it? So I started to sink a little bit more money into it. Do I sink more time into it? And then I just had to get to it. Like, and then pride starts to play a role. And then I just had to get to a point where you say, look, you know what? Good experience. I learn a lot, but I've got to stop. Not my favourite, but it, you know, it's I learn a lot. From there must be a lot of people in that place where knowing when to bail, and it is something. It's it, it, I have heard Gary Vaynerchuk talk about on his podcast and when he's being interviewed. Is that at what point do you bail? That's a, that must have been a hard choice for you. It was very hard, um, but then you know, I had two partners in it, and that made it easier because. Two people can make a decision, and then I just go along with it. You know, I, I'm 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 so committed to the end. You know, I'm just going to keep going, even when it's stupidity. Now I'm going to dig the same hole. Continue, I'm going to dig it deeper. Now, you know, um, Einstein says the definition of insanity is, you know, um, trying to get better results just by doing the same thing, um, but with more in, with more energy. I I just tried to do the same thing with more energy, but I was digging in the wrong place. And so luckily I had two guys around me that said, look, we just got to cut it. Darren, we have really enjoyed second go around. Uh, you really have dropped a lot of gold today. I think we've got value out of it ourselves and I'm, I guarantee listeners have got a load of gold out of this episode. Really the stuff you've got is it's stuff that we can – Put to our brand. Those who want to look you up to get more of Darren and the book, where do you send people? Um, thiswayplease.com.au is the best place to go. And then from there you can read some content. You can link off to where to buy the book, uh, get in contact with me. Uh, thiswayplease.com.au. Well, folks, it is a good read. I would I would recommend it only because it it actually elaborates and I think Darren's a good storyteller. There's stories on each one of the nine elements. It lays it out for you. I think your advice of pick a couple, implement them, execute, pick a couple more, execute, pick a couple more, execute, go back, do it all again. I think that's uh, great advice. You've been very generous with your wisdom and your philosophies today, mate, even though you've had a torturous week 
traveling and doing what, expo drinking coffee. For, well, <laughs> it actually, uh, by the sounds of it, he actually worked hard. He had three stands down there going yeah. stuff and he drove down in a truck and back. Um, that's pretty hardcore. That's grit and resilience right there, mate. But um, <laughs> one final thing before we go. Uh, as you well know, the show has no sponsors or advertisers, sadly. Hello to our friends at Dos Equis. Um, what would be the chance of hooking a couple of brothers up with some coffee? Coffee? <laughs> I mean, we've, 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 we've talked, it's been a theme running through our show today and I've, I've got a bit of a taste up, but I'm pretty keen to talk about this, uh, this brew that we might be able to uh, yeah. sample from you. What are the chances of uh, hooking up a couple of mates? Easy, easy. And I'll, 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 um, I'll do something better. Oh, here we go. What's you better to, than coffee? I'll take to give, well, I'll give you coffee. Easy. I'll oh, give nice. you some coffee. But I'll take you both out to dinner instead and I'll give you coffee and you can take it home with you. Oh, there hey. we go. Hey. hey. That makes hey. me that makes me feel good about your brand. <laughs> it warms warms the cockles of our hearts. Well, why don't you invite two of your listeners as well? I'll pay for the whole thing. You two and two of your listeners and I'll come and we'll have dinner and just chat about business and life. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? That That'd would be, be funny. Fun. Yeah, we'd have yeah, to rec- we'd have to record some of it. Perfect. Yeah, let's do it. No, let's be fun because then it's it kind of it's typical of us, and then we'll finish with the coffees. Yeah. So something something like that. Yes. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, perfect. Definitely. We'll be, we'll, That'll I'll, work. I'll, I'll come back to you, mate. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. Hi, I'm Sally Kelly. I've rode in three Olympics survived a stroke and recovered. I don't think anything will repair the mental damage caused by spending an hour with Robbo and Gary on the Mojo Radio Show. <laughs> a great interview with a great man with a great name. What else, what, what could you ask for? <laughs> <laughs> now, are we going to do this dinner thing? Well, it would be unlike us to want a free meal and beer, wouldn't it? So maybe we should. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we will take you, the listeners, uh, to dinner with Darren, you get an hour, an hour and a half with Darren at a nice restaurant. It'll have to be a restaurant that sells Dos Equis, so we will have oh. to narrow it down. A couple of hours with us, we will record some stuff with you, say. We'll take a couple of guests along, depending on how many people want to come. Uh, we put on the dinner. You get yourself there, so you, we're happy to have anybody come from anywhere. It'll be in Sydney, somewhere central, so you better get yourself to the dinner to enter Let's keep it really easy. So email us at info at com. Tell us you want to come and we'll do the rest. How about that? Sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. I mean, even if you add in to the fact that you, you may have to pay for a flight and one night's accommodation in Sydney, I mean, you know better than me. Put a dollar value on an hour with Darren. For a guy of that quality and he is his quality work, you'd pay a grand more for an hour to sit with him specifically to ask questions about your brand. If you think about what conferences charge, the ticket price for a conference, and they're talking general stuff, whereas you can specifically ask him about your company, your brand, your business, uh, I think it's gold. So email us. That there's, no, there's probably no easier way for you to enter we will get them. We will select out a couple of people. We're not sure how many yet because we're not paying for it. it is. <laughs> so I need to check the numbers. We and might take Sydney, them all. We will take uh, you somewhere where there's good Dos Equis and probably some Mexican or a steak, or which is very us. Uh, and we'll uh, promote this over the next few weeks. Announce the winners. We'll take along a recorder. 
get some stuff with you, you'll be on the show. All good. I have to pull you up there, though. You said um, somewhere where there's good Dos Equis. I'm just wondering if there is such a thing as a bad Dos Equis. Negative. The Mojo Radio Show. Now, guys, you've probably noticed some new music being bounced out of the studio over the last couple of weeks. If I said to you the words, burn it down, what comes into your head, Mr. Burt Whistle? Well, that is the new album from Friends of the Mojo Radio Show, a band called The Dead Daisies. You got it. been on the journey with the Mojo Radio Show for the last couple of years, you will be familiar with the band. It's kind of a, let's call it a compilation band, where it's a bunch of great, I'd say, rock stars Mm. who get together, form a band, they gig, they put out an album, and we've had the guys on the show, a lot of the guys on the show over the last five seasons of the Mojo Radio Show. We met up with John Karabi, the lead singer. And Marco Mendoza, who plays bass. Krabi played with Motley Crue. And Mendoza played with Whitesnake and Ted Nugent, I think. Mm -hmm. So both have been around the traps. And then after that, we spoke to each of them as part of Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. And during the interview with Marco Mendoza, he shared quite a profound story about that moment that he remembers where his world changed. He was suffering from addiction. I think it's fair to say he was in a pretty dark place where rock and roll can take you. But there was a moment where he saw the light, he saw the North Star, and he changed his life. Let's listen to Marco talk about surrendering. My life got really out of control. It spiraled down to the to a place where I was facing 15 years of penitentiary, jail time, you know. Marco, let's go back to that day. It's 3 p.m., September 20, 1987. You uh-huh. you made a choice to surrender. And yes. I think anybody listening to the show, it's not just alcohol or drugs, but it's food or it's stress or it's anything, any addiction people have got that they want to make yes. a choice and change. I'd just like to yeah. know about that moment. What's it mean to surrender and what do you think is the first step for someone to take? I am the firm believer that the 12-step program was the biggest tool that God put in front of me so that I could get sober. And the first step in the 12-step program says, uh, you know, we admitted that we are powerless over alcohol, drugs, people's places and things, and our life has become unmanageable. And I, saw, I, I know it sounds like a cliche, but after a while, as you start paying attention to these steps, you realize that it's true. You know, every time, um, every every time I had any kind of situation that was compromised, I was facing jail time or some some kind of trouble or getting or ODing or uh, you, you know suicidal or whatever because it got to that point where I was just existing to get under the influence of whatever. Um, that's that's what that step meant to me, that I, be, I became powerless over um, the circumstances. And so once you know that, then you start realizing that the healing begins, you know. That's the hardest step, you guys. 
the hardest step for anything for uh, for anybody to realize that uh, that time out of control is to understand that that we really have lost uh, you know that we don't have any control over it that uh, it's amazing. The biggest symptom that I had is I always had the feeling that I could stop on my own, that I could quit tomorrow. I can quit. I'm just going to do it today, and tomorrow I'm going to start. Tomorrow I'll be done, and I'll go through detox and all that, and I'm going to stop drinking, and I'm going to start doing, I'm going to stop doing drugs, and I'm going to get my life in order and all that, only to realize that I couldn't. But that's a constant thing in your head that keeps telling you you are under control. You are under control. You know, and that's the, the biggest symptom of uh, being, uh, you know, being uh, under the influence of, uh, of alcohol and drugs. Um, I came to the, to the conclusion that, that my life was out of control. I was facing the court the next morning, um, and I was facing 15 years in the penitentiary. And my life, as I knew it, had come to a screeching halt. And everything that I thought I was and I thought I wanted out of life disappeared. Uh, so that scared, that scared me. It really scared me. I was in my mid-20s, and it's like, wow, what happened to the passion I had for music, for life, for this, for that? It was mm. like, and I broke down. I really broke down. I started crying, and I got on my knees in my cell, and I prayed. Um, and for me, you know, God, God, I believe in God, and I surrendered to him, and I said, God, show me the way. I'm done. I can't manage my life. It's out of control. Give me some science and, uh, you know, surrender to, to you. You know what's best for me. I don't, I've lost touch of that, you know, so I've lost my, my way. From that point on, the next morning, I, don't, I think I didn't sleep the whole night. I was just nervous. I'm, you know, just the thought of going to jail for 15 years, you can imagine. It's like, wow, your life ends mm -hmm. pretty much, you know. Uh, so I went up, up in front of the judge, and uh, like a miracle, man, I was sentenced to this uh, behavior modification place in Pasadena, California. I was given a last chance. I said, the judge said, he says, Mr. Mendoza, I'm looking at your rap sheet here, and everything, every time you've gotten in trouble is because of your alcohol and drug abuse. We have places that, uh, if you're ready for it, we'll give you a chance to get your life in order and all that. And so I was sentenced to that place, but I was put in formal uh, uh, probation, which meant they could test me any time. I was put under medical uh, care for antibodies, which is alcohol blocker, uh, and um, uh, also an opiate blocker that was administered daily. So that was, I think, one of the profound moments on the show, wasn't it? it it's certainly one that sticks in my mind. It's When he tells that story, you can almost see him there, can't you? I, well, I can anyway. And I think we've had a lot of mail over the years, over the five seasons of the show, from people who have been in some tricky situations and dark places and that that kind of sharing and honesty and, and the willingness to be of service, I think, from people like Marco is really a hallmark of the show and something which makes us feel as though the show can add value to different parts of... And just what I'm curious about is whether that moment of Marco surrendering 
may have been part of the story behind the first track on Burn It Down, which is Resurrected. Mm. If nothing else, it's a great song. <laughs> and because it is a good representation of the show, mm. of The Dead Daisies, and maybe it has got a great backstory because the, the, the lyrics do kind of reflect that journey that Marco and some of the other guys in the band have been on. So I reckon we just play out with it. Let's play the first track from the album, Burn It Down, The Dead Daisies. It's called Resurrected. It's a good way to finish the show and we're out. Rock on.
The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time. <laughs>